So a quick show of hands will be really helpful for me. Um, who is here because you're leading a church? Yeah, amazing. Who is here because you're leading a ministry or a team? Yeah. Who's here because you have a comms specific role and that comms uh, role is the only thing that you do? Yeah. Amazing. It's nice to be here. Nice to speak to you. Um, and I just want to speak to you around um, knowing who you're trying to reach, around your markets, around momentum. Um, how do you reach people? Who are you trying to reach? How can you find them? How do you reach your city? How do you prepare for growth? How do you plan for visitors, maintain momentum, and have fun in the doing, it, doing of it all? Um, and so this will take me about 40 minutes. Um, so in terms of church comms, let's dive in, shall we? So who are you trying to reach? If you try and reach your entire city, you will reach no one. So knowing who you're trying to reach help us, helps us to love our cities. It can be so, so easy when we're looking at the metrics and the data of hundreds and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people to forget that each number is a story. Let me tell you a story of one of our churches in Scotland, and they wanted to reach dads in their city. So um, this was this last year. During the run-up to Father's Day, they ran a social media campaign to, um, to kind of ask people their city to nominate their man of the year, which is pretty cool, like, who is your man of the year? And this was run on Facebook and through their Instagram page. They had so many people put forward, it was amazing. They chose one, that winner, came along to church. He loved it so much, he was like, I want to learn more. He went on to an Alpha course. He then proceeds to give his life to Jesus, which is amazing. They baptized him last month. He's since brought 20 of his friends along to church with him. Because of a social media campaign. Isn't that awesome? See, Jesus is constantly out there kind of issuing these invitations. That's what I love about him is one of the many things I love about him. He's all, there's always space for more people. And he uses us in this as he builds his church. So there's two types of invites which I've seen through um, comms and through the Bible, um, which I found really helpful to realise, to work through. And in the Gospel of Luke, we see both groups of people. So there's those invited and there's those who lean in ready for an invitation from us. So Luke 3 um, says that on a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching and a woman there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years, she was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to him, and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. So type one is a person who was invited, a person who's called forward. Then later on in Luke 19, we see the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus was going through Jericho. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. He'd heard about him. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he went, he found a tree, he went up a tree. Um, so type two is a person who knows that Jesus is worth exploring, but they put themselves in a position to encounter him. So, what, what would we learn from this? Well, one, that people are positioned for encounter. Like, people are positioned for encounter with Jesus. They are looking for him, they are ready for him, they are desperate for him, they are hungry for him, they know there's something missing. Two, the church needs to be positioned to be the bearer of Jesus' invitation. Okay? 
So the woman who was healed by Jesus was called forward, invited by Jesus, and Zacchaeus was so motivated that he climbs a tree to see more. But there was still an invitation from Jesus to spend time with him. The invitation leads to encounter, and encounter is the forebearer to transformation, right? So what we saw with the Father's Day um, campaign is that invitation equals encounter equals transformation, which equals multiplication, yeah? That person brought 20 people along to church because of the invitation, which led to encounter, which led to transformation, which led to multiplication. And this is how Jesus is growing his church. It's one of the many ways. When we do this, when we do this well, we join with him in what he's already doing in our cities. We join with him on hearts that he's already working on. So we're prayerfully inviting churches to join with the story that God is writing for them. He uses us, his church, so we need to be ready. And that's what we're here for, so we can be ready to play our part, which is the crux of church comms. And it's why I love this, because our roles are playing our parts in making sure that no one is left out of the kingdom. That we all have this amazing opportunity to be involved and invite people into the kingdom. That invitations are visible for everyone to see and hear. So we know that every church has two roots in, okay? You have one which is your personal contact, people that you meet relationally, you invite those people in. Two, self-motivation, people who are self-motivated without contact, they find you and they want to come in through your church doors. But one of our, the most important things that we do is make it easy for those self-motivators to find us and those who have been invited. So the question to kind of ask is, how easy are we making it to invite people into our churches? What are the barriers that we're accidentally putting up that prevent people from encountering Jesus? Because, because overcoming these barriers, that's one of the major keys to church comms. We're not just amazing cool fonts and these websites that do flashy things and films that are awesome and mobile apps and we're not just these social media Jedis who kind of know when to post and where. We're breaking down barriers, we're removing partitions, we're helping people to overcome hurdles so they can encounter Jesus, not so our metrics look awesome. Although, like, we love metrics as well. Um, I want to show you one of the purest, most funny, personally, cool films I've seen. Who's um, watched this? Okay, um, I saw it last week on Twitter. Um, watch this. There is no sound on purpose. These are kids at a sports day, and they have never seen hurdles before in their lives. Let's watch it again. Do you see how every child has no idea what to do with this hurdle? <laughs> and I was watching it, and I was like, I was like, just watch every single child. They're like, what is this thing in the way of me running? But like, picture this as a, a person who's trying to find their way into church. And they're like, how do I get in? Like, how do I find my place? Like, it's funny because we know how to jump over a hurdle. Like, we're like, hurdles are pretty simple, aren't they? But if you've never seen a hurdle before, you don't know how to get past it. You're like, do I go round it? Is that cool? Do I pick it up? Hurdles prevent people from coming into church. And when we're church, we're like, this is really easy. When we're not churched, these hurdles prevent us from encountering Jesus. And so this is one of your roles. How do we take hurdles out of the way of people walking in through our church doors? 
because all comms tools and platforms have a purpose. There's ways that we get out our message and the kind of invitation, but we need to know the win of our comms before we set our plans in stone. Like, what are we trying to do with what we do? So broadly speaking, I found that all platforms have three key purposes. They are information, inspiration, and invitation. And most of our wins can be traced back to these three. So pretty much anything that you put out through church comms, your platforms, your messaging, are, are information, inspiration, and invitation. Let me tell you a story about invitation and information. We have a new church plant um, that was planted up north, and they ran a summer children's event, like a family thing with bouncy castles and face painting and hot dogs and fire engines, you know, the sort, like fun stuff. And they put 20 pounds behind a single Facebook post. And then they had their mums post about it to Facebook groups, you know, the mums groups, family groups, like, what's on? They spent 20 pounds. Within three days, they had 60 sign-ups. And the following Thursday, they had to cap their numbers at 100 because it was exploding. This is a church plant of, like, 15 people, okay? He said to me, he said, I've never known anything like it because only seven of our church kids had signed up so we had 90 kids with no church connection at all. They had no contact with the church except to sign up. The night before they had to change the um, venue, they managed to get a local school, the hall, they contacted all the families um, using church suite, which is amazing. You should all use it, it is phenomenal. And they then realized they had some spare tickets because a few people um, canceled. Within five minutes, the 10 spare tickets that they had had all gone. Facebook, that's what they used. The day went amazingly well. They met loads of people, their team served their hearts out, and then they invited people back to their next event. Okay, so you use your current event to invite people to your next event. Not only momentum, but increased momentum. So how can you take your plans, your tasks, your strategy, your objectives, to reach a group of people and put them into one of our most commonly used vehicles on social media. I thought Finn and Peter spoke brilliantly on putting the social back into social media. So I'm not, like I won't um, track that bit, but they were amazing, weren't they? Um, but what I do want to talk in is, what are the four things that we should be looking, that we do with every social media post? Okay, firstly, message. What do you need to say and why? So what is the win? Like, what are you trying to get from this social media post? So uh, there's a guy called Logan Paul, who is one of the biggest YouTube uh, film creators in the world. He's got 20 million subscribers. Um, and he said, authenticity is so big right now, which is hilarious because he's not. But they see that authenticity... <laughs> is this being recorded? But like, like, there's this whole world that they're looking at and they're going, authenticity is in growth. We don't really understand why, but it's in growth. And what we have is authentic, okay? So your message needs to be your message. This culture sees through fake. They might like fake, but they see through it. So be you. Stay in your lane, run your race. You own your message for your church, your vision, your values, the lane that God has set your church in. Don't try and run the race of a church next to you or who's a thousand miles away, run your lane. God needs us all in place in this season because something's coming, people are coming to faith. Like we're, we're seeing a lot 
a lot of this. People are coming to faith and Jesus needs all of the church to be in their place. So run your race. Secondly, your market. Who this message needs to reach. So you have to sit down and work out who am I trying to reach? Who am I not trying to reach? We'll talk about that a bit more. Media, where can you find them? Which platform? Once you've worked out which media, you move on to the moment. Because if you, because if you don't think through your moment, you're going to be on the right platform at the wrong time. So I'm just going to talk a little bit around that. So to get the most out of social media, we need to look at the raw data of social media. So Facebook has got 37 million active accounts in the UK, which was accurate as of two weeks ago. It is still a big player, despite all of the chatter around people not trusting Facebook, they still use it, okay? So let's have some um, um, guesses, some kind of interaction um, around the percentages of each age group who have an active Facebook account. So 13 to 17, what's the percentage, do you think, that they have this kind of active Facebook account? Guys over there, you can't play. So, 30? Okay, 30, higher or lower? Lower. So this is 13 to 17 year olds. Higher? You're going higher. So we've had 30, we've had lower than 30, we're having, go on. 87%, okay. 15, 51%. Who said that? We said 72%. Yeah, that's, that's not close. <laughs> I mean, well done for kind of shouting out numbers, but no. <laughs> um, next one, the group, the group which is 18 to 24, higher or lower? You think higher? Lower. Oh, we've got both. This is a fun game. 76%. 25s to 30s? 25 to 30, higher or lower? Similar, okay, that's not an option, but okay. <laughs> higher or lower? Neither! <laughs> um, it is 84%. Ooh, it's a good game show, isn't it? Um, 30 to 49 years old. Higher than the 84s. We're kind of getting into like the kind of parents, you know, the parents who love their kids' posts, aren't we? Uh, 30 to 49 years old, 79% is beginning to tail off. Ooh, uh, 50 to 64. Lower, we're going lower again. Much lower or a bit lower? 38, 42, 68%. And the split is that 75% of females have an active Facebook account and 63 of males. That is, you know, that is a UK stat. Let's play it again, shall we? On Instagram, a beautiful platform with disposable updates and curated feeds, 24 million active users in the UK as of two weeks ago. Here's a fun quiz for you first. Where do you think the most users are? Are they in cities? Are they in the suburbs? Or are they in the countryside? Suburbs. Countryside, 43% of Instagram users are based in the countryside. Uh, how many, what's the percentage in the 18 to 24 bracket who have an active Instagram account in the UK um, as of two weeks ago? 65? How about kind of at the back? You're being very quiet at the back. 85, good guess. 75% of 18 to 24 year olds have an active one. 
So there will be more who actually have one, but these are those who use them on a regular basis. Uh, 25 to 30 year old. So these are your kind of graduates, might be getting married, they're starting out in their jobs. Higher or lower? Same. Lower. You're right, lower, 57%. Let's rattle through this. 30 to 49 year, years old. Higher or lower? Lower, yes, 47%. 50 to 64, 23%, and 65 plus is 8%. So you can see, isn't that fascinating? So why would this look like this? So have you heard of, there is a third rule of technology coined by a fictional author called Douglas Adams. He says that where there is something formed and launched already in the world when you're born, that becomes normal and it's very ordinary and it's a natural part of your life. Where it's been invented between when you're 13, uh, sorry, 15 and 35, it's new, it's new, it's exciting, you can probably work out how to use it. Once it's invented after you're 35, it's against the natural, the natural run of things, and you probably won't. You might, might crack it, but it feels slightly unnatural. And so this is why we're seeing this spread um, with Instagram, because it's, it's quite recent. So we see this in Instagram, we see this in TikTok, so 41% of all TikTok users are aged between 16 and 24 intentionally, when they made it, they were targeting teenagers. Teenagers didn't choose TikTok, TikTok chose teenagers. That's the difference, okay? So that's why we'll see it huge amongst youth groups. If you have a youth group, think about it, okay? Um, and Twitter, short and snappy news, it's current affairs, niche topics, breaking news. It's got this kind of stronghold of people who, like, they really love Twitter, like, they're hashtagging everything, they're live tweeting things. They're slightly boring at parties, but they love Twitter. Um, <laughs> churches seem to get more engagement. Sorry, who loves Twitter? Yeah. I love Twitter. Me too, I love Twitter as well, yeah. We're rubbish at parties. Um, <laughs> churches seem to get less engagement on Twitter. Like, these guys, they were absolutely right. Twitter is not the primary thing. Um, so, 13 to 17 years old, how many have an active Twitter account? 5%, no. 32%. Surprising, eh? Uh, and then, kind of 18 to 29 year, years old? 40, not far off, 38%. 30 to 49 years old? 70, 50, 60, 70, 26. I know. Uh, 50 to 64 years old, 10, 17, and last 65 plus, 7%. It's interesting, eh? Interesting. What's really, really interesting is that Twitter is 66% male. So do with that what you will. So a few hot takes. Facebook remains our biggest platform, followed by Instagram and Twitter. Um, because Instagram is built in a slightly different way, we don't have time to go into that. Know your demographics. So 25 to 30 is still the biggest demographic on Facebook. 37 million UK users, mostly in cities, and 75% of women have an active account. Instagram, some hot takes. 13 to 17 is the biggest, demog uh, the biggest demographic. If you have a youth group, pay Instagram some serious attention. Learn it, uh, chat to these guys over here. They're amazing at what they do. Be trained up on it, learn how to use it. 24 million UK users, mostly rural, but pretty even on the whole, and more women than men. And Twitter is 18 to 29, biggest demo, 16.7 million UK users, mostly rural, 66% male. Now this is where it gets really interesting, because social is changing, okay? It gets really interesting here. There are, there's this, this kind of range of like 13 to 34 year olds, 
where their engagement in social media has leveled off. It has ceased to grow. Um, 2019 research from the Global Web Index says that it's either flat or declining, or not rising as greatly as it has been in years past. So young people have spent years kind of carefully making their Instagram feeds look beautiful and sharing amazing selfies of them in front of waterfalls that they'd never go to if it wasn't there, you know, to make it look good so that people can go, you're so amazing. And they're stopping that cycle. One of the reasons is they're craving privacy. Okay, so all this talk around uh, Facebook groups, it's so true. Um, they're looking for a respite from the throngs of people on social media who are making life not safe. Uh, social media cannot always be a safe place for the 13 to 34 year olds and even past that. And it also, also includes their parents, so they're trying to avoid their parents. Um, and speaking as a mum who, she got Twitter when we first had our child, 11, our first child, 11 years ago, purely because she was like, I want to see the photos. Um, and that was where we were at that time. So that's where my mum is. But what we're seeing is smaller private networks leap up, things like Slack and WhatsApp. And one of the biggest trends amongst teenagers is a Google Docs chat. Okay, so when they're doing their homework, they have a live chat next to it, and they are having live chat whilst doing their homework. They're not on... Um, things that you would expect them to be on. And once they shut down that document, the chat goes, their parents can't see it. It's amazing. Um, worth, worth being aware of. Um, the Instagram friends feature where you can just share with your close friends. People are looking for smaller, more intimate privacy networks. Apparently, 65% um, of the under 30s prefer a private network because private networks allow easier sharing. But that's amazing for church, isn't it? This, these are places where people will be more vulnerable, that they're willing to talk about faith, they're more willing to talk about Jesus, they're more willing to share how they're feeling. How about this one? 38% 30, of the under-30s only use Facebook for Messenger. But what would this mean? This means for churches, we need to wisen up to how people, people use social media. Website sharing. Your website, it is so important to get it right because you now don't have a voice in every conversation. You can't see the conversations ha happening online, but what you can do is think through how can your church provide information, inspiration, and invitation to the conversations which are happening? What tools can you put in place? What graphics can you provide? How would you put things onto your website which are easy to screen share? Things that appear as you're scrolling through your mobile phone that they can take a screenshot of to share through a WhatsApp group. Like These are things that they, they are doing. It means your public channels need to be crystal clear and you need to get better at measuring results, not tactics. Okay, So your, your results, they're more, how did you come to find your place in this church? Not, look, we reached 10,000 people. We might be a church of 60, but we reached 10,000 people. So um, although social is changing, it's not dying. It's fascinating. We need to change how we use it. We need to tweak. Um, social metrics are less useful, and likes are less of a measure of success. I've had a number of phone calls with people who have said, um, my likes are going down. What do I do? And I'm like, you know what? You might need to change some things. However, um, don't stop posting, because people are sharing differently. You know? So don't be discouraged by what you're seeing but look at your church instead, okay? It is a holistic view. 
So how about your church? How would you know where they are? My advice to you would be to do like a straw poll one Sunday, go, right, who's on Facebook? Who's on Twitter? Who's, who's on Instagram? Who's on WhatsApp? Who's doing this? Like, how would you like to hear more from church? Who would love a weekly email, a monthly email? Who would love this? It's really easy. It'll take five minutes, and it just takes a person who really gets it, who can um, speak to your whole church, and that would help save you hours and hours and hours of work just by knowing where is your church and how would they like to receive things from you. But how would you reach people, now that you've worked out where the people are, how would you know when they're there? Okay? This is fascinating. This is the best time that you can post on Facebook. Okay? So th these are the busiest times that you will find on Facebook. So Thursdays, Fridays, lunchtimes, um, tends to be people kind of spill their lunchtime slightly over into like two or three o'clock, kind of, they kind of go back back to work, but they don't really go back to work. They're like scrolling through their feed, you know. So what I'm not saying is you have to be live and active then. What you should do is maybe don't post at four o'clock, but post at half 11, you know. So these things are just helpful. So when you're scheduling things, just be ready that you know that there's gonna be a spike in traffic and you wanna be there. So you might reach 5,000 people rather than 1,000 people just by changing how you post. Uh, Twitter, um, lunch times. Uh, those people who are not amazing at um, parties probably scrolling through their phone at um, lunchtime. It's me. Um, and kind of after work. Again, it's really interesting. It's helpful. And Instagram. Two o'clock in the morning. Yeah? Don't forget, who are the key users who use Instagram? And what, and what are their habits? 75% are in the 18 to 24 bracket. And they're and, and it's busiest, the traffic is busiest at two o'clock in the morning. Isn't that crazy? It tells us something about, anyway, that is a completely different. Um, so don't forget the people who use it most, then look at the times and work out how to engage. And then measure and evaluate. These things are really helpful. Respond to your data, don't respond to a narrative. Okay, we hear it all the time. It's like, oh, I couldn't find this. I didn't know where that was. Don't listen to the one person who's this kind of voice in your ear. Listen to the data from what you are gathering and do and react. So when you react to something, you're changing your rhythms without data. When you respond, you're responding based on your, your SMART goals of being specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and tangible. So you're setting these out way beforehand because otherwise you're changing things based on this knee-jerk, oh, I heard that someone said they couldn't find this or they didn't know how to do this or they couldn't work this. Get the facts before you change anything, okay? So, and then a few things that might be helpful, uh, you might want to work out what else would you need? What went well? What went badly? What could you change? Was there a social or environmental reason why something that you posted didn't work, that it got buried? Maybe um, it was a tweet by Trump that it kind of buried everything else. Maybe um, it was politics, a natural disaster. You know, take these things into account when you're running through. How did that go? Was it well received? We have a monthly meeting where we go through everything. We go through our plans and we work out what we're posting on what days, what needs to be in place for the, those things to happen. So we're posting on Friday about 
this course. Therefore, by Thursday, it needs to be live. On the Sunday beforehand, you probably want those flyers ready. On the Sunday afterwards, you're going to want those flyers ready. Like, what are the things that you need to plan out? We have two massive whiteboards there, month views, and we have these magnetic strips. We write what we're posting for every day because we're a national movement. We post two or three times per day on various channels. And when we look at things, we're like, you know what, that won't work because, because of this. Therefore, we're going to pick it up, we're going to move it into this day, change how it's scheduled. Uh, we use Loomly to schedule things. We found that's helpful. Um, and then we look back at that, the last month that we just had. We're like, how did that go? Have we got to push anything that didn't work well? What didn't work well? Why not? These things are just really helpful habits to get into. And the reason is, when you do it well, you get momentum, and this grows your church. Okay. When we have a good flow, it, it gives life to what's happening. Flow would be the checklist that helps us to not overload our churches. It sees patterns in our, our comms. It keeps things fresh. It's got this reassuring regularity around language and pictures and invitation that our churches recognize. When we're putting into place the flow and the rhythms of our comms, we need to pace ourselves to maximize events um, when we've realized vision, programs. And there's a simple rule on the flow of comms which I found really, really helpful. It looks like this. So run this alongside your regular rhythms, your stories, your podcast, your information, your invitation, your inspiration. And this is, you increase and decrease the amount of activity that you have based on how near or far you are from your next event. Um, and like I know that social is not all about events. It's absolutely not. This, is, this runs alongside your regular rhythm. Okay, so you want people to come to your events because people come into events, they come into community. People come into community, they come into a greater relationship with Jesus. That's how the church works. Okay, so yes, it's not all about events, but this is really helpful to get people to events. Um, so what we're doing is we're ensuring we're not fire-hosing people, but we're having this nice build-up. We're saying we're having this Christmas party. Perhaps we're doing a carols by candlelight. You gradually, you, you post something out, you plan it, you're like, right, we're three months out, and then you gradually work out how you're going to increase certain things as you get nearer and nearer. And then what you see with momentum is a bit like when you're skimming stones, is you pick up a uh, stone and you chuck it in and you throw it beautifully and it skims across, okay? This is what we're doing with church comms, is we're trying to work out how can we bounce from one thing to another to another, that it picks up momentum in the church that we see growth, yeah? So, planning a timeline for every major event is a system that will help you no end. I kid you not. These are tools that you know that you have, things that you already know how to do, and we're just putting it into this uh, little timeline. So, draw a timeline for your major events. Okay, this is like Christmas and Easter and Lent and whatever else are your big non-negotiables, you know, the big rocks that you put into your church diary. Then put in the key times that you need to communicate before a significant event. So perhaps it's three months, two months, one month, and the event. And then work out the tools you have and where they fit. So you're going to announce the date. You're going to push things out on social. You're going to have things, uh, flyers ready. You're going to put things into your bulletin. You're going to have things on the screen at church. Like all the different things that you might have. 
This doesn't need to be a lengthy process. Once you get amazing at this, this will take you five minutes. Like this is a quick cheat to make things work really well for your church or for a ministry. So this graph shows what a comms activity might look like over six months and how the use of the skimming of the stones helps to build momentum which you don't only feel but you can see and you can measure. So for the sake of argument, here's a diagram where you can see quiet and busier months with a gradual increase. So look, we've got uh, youth parties, we've got Christmas, we've got new term growth, we've got February, there's always a dip in February, isn't there? Um, it's always cold and wet. Um, you've got March, you have Easter, you have April, which is a new term. You've got this momentum that goes over time. And what that leads to is momentum leads to growth. And that's what you're trying to get the more you go through things. So you've gone through this process and you're ready to uh, do something new in church to communicate. So work out. So here's a, this is like a funnel, which I worked out because people kept, who, who here has had a time that a person's thrown something at you and they've gone, could you put this onto Facebook? And it's like, it's happening in five hours time and no one's signed up. Could you just pop out like a Facebook post? Like this is gonna solve all of their problems. Yeah, we've all had those times and you can patiently explain like, this isn't quite how it works. Like there's, a, there's this diagram, it's an amazing diagram and it works three months ago. We should have sat down and gone through this and worked out what it looks like, the fonts, the colors, you know, the messaging, the language. These things are all really important, the tone. So what I did is I drew this. What are you wanting to communicate? What have you been asked to do? Does it fit with your vision and values as a church? So your values are first, yeah? So your values are deep, they're foundational, they are non-negotiable, they don't change. You've then got the vision, the lane that God has set you in as a church. Does it fit with your seasonal priorities? So what is your church trying to do? Watch, how can you get behind your leader? You can make sure that what you're doing is your, uh, with your comms plan is fitting with their seasonal priorities. Like what are they saying, this term we're going after this. Make sure your comms reflects that. What are the questions you need to be asking? So is there a strategy behind it? Does it fulfill the questions? Does it fit your flows? Will this confuse the church? Have those who need to already know been told? You know? So the amount of times I've heard a story about a kid's pastor who's been hurt because a tweet has been put out or a Instagram post about a, a kid's thing that they knew nothing about. Okay, make sure everybody is on the same page before you push things out. And then your message, remember? Your message, what does it need to say? Your market, who is it for? Your media, how will you reach them? And your moment, when is the best time? So run through all of these and then you're ready for your church communication. And when you're satisfied with all of these, because there's times you probably get halfway through and you're like, I need to go back and I need to go back through this all over again with with my pastor or church leader. So from this day, you will have loads of notes, I'm sure you, that, that you will. Um, I wanted to say something around, before you make sweeping changes to your church comms, here's a few thoughts. Raise the bar slowly, okay? So we raise the bar slowly because it means we keep the standards consistent. So what I mean is, um, if you're going to launch an Instagram page, work out what you're planning to do with it and go, well, how often can we actually post? 
rather than saying, let's post every day or let's post every two days, work out how often you can actually post rather than do two weeks worth and just run out of steam. You're like, well, we've done 20 posts, but I am knackered and I can't do any more. And I've run out of photos. You're like, I don't have any more photos. So, so raise the bar slowly. Work out what you can do, how you should do it, um, and plan it out and then do that. But only do it once you can do that thing consistently. Work out, will this help our church objectives? So in the book, which you are going to get in your bags later on, um, there is a diagram which I've drawn, and it's a comms plan. And you start off with your values. You work out your values as a church. You know those. You write those down. You move on to the vision. The vision of the church never changes. It's this huge, expansive vision. You know, like, we're going to change the nation. Like, That's a good vision. Um, but you probably won't reach it in the next 10 years. But, like, those are... Good good things and then you move on to the objectives and your objectives are like probably like five things like what are you trying to do in this season so maybe you're trying to get a church building maybe you're trying to grow from 100 to 200 people maybe you are trying to um, touch 20,000 lives maybe you're trying to launch a uh, ministry for the poor like work out what your main objectives are and then you work out your strategy for each of these things. And so your strategy is purely how are we going to achieve these objectives through comms? So you're trying to get a church building. You probably need a way for people to give. You probably need a brochure, a magazine. You probably need pictures. You need uh, diagrams. You need information. You need a frequently asked questions. Kind of all of these helpful things, a page on the website that kind of explains it, that's forward slash building or give or whatever it is. Um, these are all parts of the strategy. And then you move on to the policy. So the policy keeps your strategy on track and your strategy helps you achieve your objectives. Your objectives help you to realise your vision and your vision is grounded in the values and that is how you run your race as a church. So your policy is very much like, well, so we're going to launch this, uh, this kind of Instagram page around uh, a building project. It's like, great, what does that mean? What are you going to do with it? Like, your policy is working out the details so that when a person goes, why do you do it that way? You go, well, the reason is this, not because the kids are on Instagram and we thought it'd be a great idea. Like, that's not a policy. It's a good idea, but it's like, that is step one. Uh, this is like uh, step six, you know, so what is it going to look like? Right? What are the photos going to look like? How do you make sure it's authentic? You know, people love authenticity. So your policies, it sounds really boring, but your policies are just your, your own rules that keep your strategy on track, okay? So will this help your objectives and is there a policy for that? And are you taking the church, church on a journey with you? So people don't like to be surprised, okay? So you introduce things through, we were speaking over lunch, and we're like, one of the most important things around comms is that it happens at the top level. So you and your church leaders, pastoral staff, ministry staff, you talk about your church comms, and it filters through, it runs through everything, and then you kind of catch it kind of at the bottom and scoop it out and you broadcast it. Okay, so you inform, inform at the top and then you broadcast. So you're helping to shape what the church is doing because you know, like, we're going to have to do this, this, this and this. So comms is not just your social media, that's a huge part of it, but it is how can we get this message out there, okay? It is key. So take the church on a journey with you and work out how you're going to do that. that that's fundamentally key. There is so much, like, I would love 
to say, but also the people who have shared this, um, this uh, platform have said so much gold. Um, so what I do have is I've probably got a few minutes. Have I got a few minutes for... I can probably take a question or two. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because. Yeah. So why does Twitter seem to hold such a sway, really? Um, because the people who control the the channels, the journalists, love Twitter. This is fundamentally. It's an easy way to get the breaking news. It's an easy way to scoop up um, pe people's opinion. Um, it's an easy way to search through what's trending. What's, what's, what's a quick soundbite? Because Instagram is pictures, and so it's harder to go, here's my hot take on this, on uh, storms or politics or whatever it is. Um, and so Twitter gets a massive profile because it's easy. It fits into the journalist narrative. And so my background is in PR. Uh, we didn't have Twitter back then. Um, but if we did, it would have been such a useful tool for branding, for messaging, for journalists to reach um, journalists. Like, I follow about 20 journalists. It's fascinating. They're always on it. But then you see the same tweets that they favorited appear on the BBC News, the Times, the Telegraph, the Guardian, wherever. So that is one of the main reasons. But where your church is, it's a little bit different. OK. We've got time for one more. Very quick. Mm. Things, what responsibility and how can the church manage that? Because there's been a lot of talk today about yeah. Media, but it's, it's also bringing up a lot of yeah. dirt with it. Yeah. So, okay. so the question is how do we, um, how, how can we be helpful to people in our churches around mental health, the, the rise of that, especially with the increase of the the link and the correlation between social media and digital and mental health. Um, okay, I've got 20 seconds. Um, <laughs> I think we need to be teaching on mental health in the church. Um, I think we need to be teaching on spiritual rhythms. I think you guys, one of my biggest things which I found helpful is once a week I switch off my phone, I Sabbath. Okay, so every, I won't tell you which day, but once a week I switch off my phone, I have no contact, I text my parents beforehand, and I'm like, please don't die, I'm just about to switch off my phone. You know, it'd be really kind of awkward at the funeral. Um, sorry. Um, they're in good health, I'm joking. Um, and um, so we model things that way, and we preach about it that way. I think we need to be preaching, sorry, teaching our young people what it looks like to put their phone down. My daughter got her first phone uh, at Christmas. She switches her phone off on the Sabbath. She's not allowed social media um, because it can be really damaging to young people. And so we're like, there are things you can do, like uh, build friendships. That's fine. There's things you can't do, like waste your time scrolling. And so there's a lot of work that we have, have to do amongst young people, uh, teenagers, students, what it looks like to embrace Sabbath and silence and solitude and healthy things, and so um, we're teaching uh, both, both our kids about fasting, not food because they're too young, but what it looks like to not have something for a period, and then the prompting of that, that you lead into prayer with that. So I think 
How do we do it? I think it's a holistic view that the whole church needs to be very mindful that people have not been talking about how hard they've been struggling and we can have a voice in this, but maybe there's things like we can do a series on Instagram, on uh, Facebook, why don't you switch off your phones, why don't you do this, here's a guide, teaching on it, make it visible, encourage people, promote it, but I wouldn't get rid of your digital channels because it's such a helpful tool as well. So there is this tension that we need to walk, but that's probably about as much time as I've got, but I hope that's helpful.